to another edition of the Albany Law School podcast. I'm Ben Myers, Associate Director of Communications and Marketing here at Albany Law School. On this edition of the podcast, we're speaking with one of my favorite guests that's ever been on the show, Jonas Caballero. He is in the class of 2024. He's a diversity center for the Student Bar Association. He's a fellow with the GLC. He's on the board of directors of the Just Detention International. He's a council member of the JDI Survivor Council. And he's just a tremendous person to have on the show. He's doing some incredible work. And just to be fair to everybody who listens to the podcast, there is some sensitive material in here. You're going to want to just take a look at the show notes and we'll you can decide if you want to travel on or if you want to uh, just skip this episode. That's totally up to you. But I will say that the work Jonas is doing is so incredibly important and so moving. And he's just such a passionate man that it, it's really worth a listen. If you are capable and you want to proceed further in this one. If you want to keep up to date on all the news here at Albany Law School, you can check out our e-news that comes out once a month, or you can go to albanylaw.edu slash news. If you want to have the day-to-day updates, that's on social media, Facebook, X, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And if you want to hear previous episodes, Jonas has been on the podcast in the past. There's a link to our previous episode with him in the show notes, but you can also just check out our SoundCloud account, or you can subscribe on any of the major podcast services. All right, let's speak to Jonas. Back here on the Albany Law School podcast, speaking with one of our favorite guests that we've had on, I think, once or twice before, it's Jonas Caballero. Jonas, thanks for joining us on the show today. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me back. Great to be here. Now, we will get to the therapy dogs, which is really why everybody wants to talk to Jonas especially this time of year, since it's midterms time. We'll get there. <laughs> Good. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, like I said, we're getting towards midterms time. It's October here at Albany Law School, a couple weeks into the semester. How's it been going for you? Let's see. Back pain from the lugging around of the Facebooks. <laughs> Check. Got the ever-darkening bags under my eyes from the lack of sleep. Check. You know, I have the increased heart rate from too much coffee and the fears of the occasional cold call, but everything's right on track. But no, I'm seriously, I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm really enjoying this year's 2L, 2L class, especially my New York practice course. I'm finally seeing the light at the end of the proverbial tunnel. <laughs> 2L year is a tough year. It's a tough year for sure. <laughs> it, it is. 1L, though, really took the cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back even a step before 1L year. I always ask this as students because it's so interesting hearing the different journeys that people take to get here to Albany Law School. And, and yours is a is a very interesting journey. I, that's super underselling it. Check out the previous podcast that we'll have linked in the show notes with Jonas. But why Albany Law School? Why did you decide to pursue your JD here? Right. So, yeah, as I, I stated in the previous podcast that Albany Law, well, so far, by the way, it has been nothing but accommodating to me. As the the first formerly incarcerated president of last year's 1L class, Albany Law has allowed me to basically show that people like me are are more than just, you know, the, the past mistakes that we've made. And I think that I've been able to 
you know, touched the lives of many through organizing events like the Therapy Dog Days, which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to. And of course, the snowball. I guess I have to admit that I was a little bit apprehensive to leave my family back in Pittsburgh and move all the way to Albany to the very destination where I experienced a horrific civil rights violation while I was incarcerated. But Albany Law, you know, accepted me with open arms. They've allowed me to basically, you know, channel that frustration that I had into some very uh, powerful work with incarcerated individuals. And certainly the support that I have had from many of the professors has been truly amazing. And I guess a shout out here uh, needs to go to Professor Mayer, Dean Queenan, and Dean Toronto. So Albany Law was just the perfect fit for me. And that kind of brings us to why we want to speak with you today. We, we've been talking by email back and forth for a little bit here. And like I said, we're recording in early October. But if we look back about a month ago, I think, early September, uh, you travel down to Washington, D.C. to actually speak with Congress. And I'll let you take over from here. What did you speak about and, and why were you down there in Washington? It was on September 17th that I was invited to travel to Washington, D.C. to participate in a congressional briefing in the Senate building on Capitol Hill as part of an event that marked the 20th anniversary of the Prison Rape Elimination Act, which is commonly known as PREA. And this was, so PREA was a 2003 law that was the first ever federal law that had addressed the crisis of sexual abuse behind bars. PREA was signed into, into law on September 4th of 2003. So, you know, just about 20 years almost to the date that it had been passed by both houses of Congress unanimously, which is kind of crazy to think about, you know, when you look at how things are going today down in DC. But what was really interesting was that many of the law's biggest champions really were the prison rape survivors themselves that really helped to spearhead uh, Priya. And this included Dee Farmer, who is a transgender woman who she sued federal prison officials for failing to protect her from sexual assaults in a men's prison. And her case actually made it all the way to the Supreme Court. And I actually cited to Miss Farmer's 1994 case, which is captioned Farmer versus Brennan, in my own federal lawsuits against New York City after I su uh, suffered sexual abuse in a Brooklyn jail. And I actually had the honor of sharing the stage with her and other survivors at the congressional briefing where I spoke about my experiences and the need for more congressional support. And it was really, really cool that the three living sponsors of PREA were right down there with us. This included the former U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, uh, Congressman Bobby Scott, and also former Representative Frank Wolf were all there in attendance for this monumental event. And let's give some credit to the team that, that kind of put this all together. And again, I'm going to just gonna let you have the floor here, Jonas. Who set this up and, and what's your relationship with, with that organization? Sure. So Just Detention International are the folks who set it up. And we call them JDI. Uh, JDI is a health and human rights organization that seeks to end sexual abuse in all forms of detention. Uh, Just Detention International, they were founded in 1980, and JDI is the only organization in the U.S. and indeed in the world that are dedicated exclusively to ending sexual abuse behind bars. 
And JDI basically has a very simple and powerful tagline, which is rape is not part of the penalty. Now, nevertheless, there are 200,000 people who are sexually abused in U.S. jails and prisons and detention centers uh, every year here in the United States. Half of all of those who are sexually abused behind bars are abused by staff. One in five of those staff members who are perpetrators of this horrific crime keep their jobs. And two in five transgender people in prisons are sexually abused throughout their incarceration. And what JDI does is they hold government officials accountable for prison rape and make sure that survivors get the help that they need. And they do this by working with policymakers, corrections officials. They work with currently and formerly incarcerated individuals, rape crisis centers, and of course, many advocates across the uh, political spectrum. And I have been a member of JDI's Survivor Council since last year. And last month, I actually was honored to take a seat on the board of directors of JDI. So that's who organized it, and that's my affiliation with JDI. So we, we've kind of covered what, what you're working on down there, who you're working with, but what are you working on? I, I think it's really important, and it is a sensitive topic. And, you know, everybody who listens to the podcast knows we don't shy away from sensitive topics here. But could you just set the scene for us a little bit what necessitated this act and the effects that it has had? And have things gotten better? Have things gotten worse? Have things stayed the same? Sure. Oh, okay. So, well, let me start with saying that as invisible as prison rape is now, and it really is just a blip on the radar, it was even more of a taboo 20 years ago before Priya existed. And it really was the powerful, you know, Herculean efforts of survivors that made Priya a reality. And, you know, I had already mentioned Miss D. Farmer, whose Supreme Court case was actually foundational to Priya. The other trailblazer was the late Tom Cahill. And he was a he was the former JDI president and a survivor of repeated rapes in a Texas jail. And he agitated for many, many years to get this issue on the national agenda. And so that's sort of like what precipitated Priya. As for where things stand now, I think the answer really is that it has had an overwhelmingly positive impact. But of course, you know, with with such a, a horrific uh, scourge on our, on our country, this issue with prison rape and sexual assault, there's undoubtedly so much more work that needs to be done. But as for its successes, I mean, it's resulted in, in many, many positive things. This includes you know, the training of tens of thousands of correction staff annually in the fields of sexual abuse detention, prevention, and response. It's also been successful in educating hundreds of thousands of incarcerated people about their rights uh, to be safe behind bars and to how to speak out if they are not. It's also resulted in increasingly significant the number of reports of sexual abuse that are made by uh, incarcerated people annually. So that's basically a sign that the stigma associated with reporting has actually decreased. And so it's now, you know, a safer environment for survivors to speak out. And I guess Priya has also resulted in releasing a series of game-changing federal surveys of incarcerated adults and children. And these surveys, what they've done is provided advocates and policymakers with 
very invaluable information on the dynamics of sexual abuse and detention and how prisons and jails can go about stopping it. So I, I guess that's where where we came from and where we are. Kind of have a two-parter here for you looking at the future. What can, well, let, let's just start with one part of it, then I'll get to the other one in a second. Let's look into the future a little bit. What What can, what should Congress do the White House, the Supreme Court, I guess, what can the federal government do more to continue this work to make it more effective, to make it more efficient? Like I mentioned earlier, there's so much more that that can and should be done. And I think Congress needs to be doing more and is in the process of doing more. There is currently actually a movement in that direction. Uh, Congressman Bobby Scott, for example, who I mentioned, who came to the anniversary event down in D.C., He's one of the initial sponsors of PRIA, is and has been continuously engaged in the efforts to to do more. There's also, he works very closely with Senator John Cornyn, and Senator Cornyn, along with Senator Brian Schatz, they're leading the next bipartisan group of champions of JDI's work. In particular, they're sponsoring a, a bill called CECITA, and it's really important to uh, to highlight CECITA. CECITA stands for Sexual Abuse Services and Detention Act. And what CECITA would do is expand emotional support services for sexual abuse survivors in prison, prisons, jails, and detention centers. And under CECITA, community-based providers would be able to apply for funding in order to offer the really critically needed help that incarcerated, incarcerated survivors of sexual abuse really need. And so what CECITA would do is set aside resources for a national resource center, which providers and correctional officers could turn to for expert assistance in reaching out to the people who have endured sexual abuse while they're in custody. And as someone like me who has survived a number of forms of sexual abuse behind bars, I can't tell you just how important it was for me to have quick access to a mental health counselor in order to help me through those dark days, through trauma-informed and survivor-centered healing. And CECITA would basically expand and ensure that these type of services uh, can reach the people who have suffered from uh, sexual abuse behind bars. And then I guess one other thing is that in addition to CECITA, Congress should increase its funding for the PREA efforts. While, of course, Congress has funded the program's in the past, and actually over the past several years, has funded PREA at the rate of around $15.5 million. Unfortunately, the need for more funding far exceeds this uh, amount of appropriation. So, of course, so I guess in short, more funding is essential to ensure national compliance uh, with the, the PREA standards. And these proposed legislations like CECITA are, are some of the ways that uh, Congress needs to can do more and is attempting to do so. And, of course, that's what Congress can do. That's what elected officials can do. What can we do? What can we do, A, as public as public citizens, and then B, here at Albany Law School, we have, you know, the, the Edward P. Swire Justice Center, which works on some of these kinds of uh, areas of law. But what can we do as the public and what can the law school do more to help? Well, firstly, uh, something very simple that folks could do is, you know, call their senators and representatives and urge them to support CECITA, the Sexual Abuses, 
sorry, the Sexual Abuse Services in Detention Act, and also to encourage them to support more robust funding for PREA. So that's that's one way that folks here at Albany Law and the public can get involved. Secondly is, you know, folks can go straight to the JDI, the Just Detention International website, and find out how they can either donate or assist in, in these types of efforts. And then third, and I think this really applies to how folks at Albany Law School, especially aspiring attorneys, can get involved, is to take a pro bono Section 1983 case once they're out in the working world and try and represent an incarcerated individual who is, you know, a survivor of state violence, especially of uh, sexual abuse endured behind bars. And I know, and I saw this on the Albany Law uh, LinkedIn the other day, was that um, a group of Albany Law students had uh, participated in this, uh, you know, opportunity to help the federal courts with an upcoming training program for federal litigators. And I was really uh, excited to see that this program is uh, is in the making. And this is uh, through the National Institute for Trial Advocacy, the U.S. District Court for the Northern District, and I believe the Federal Court Bar Association, who will uh, soon be offering training to attorneys in exchange for their um, assistance on Section 1983 cases. And these Section 1983 cases are often uh, brought by incarcerated individuals whose uh, constitutional rights have been violated. So those are three pretty direct ways that folks can get involved. And I guess on that Section 1983 note, I just wanted to also mention that coincidentally, I have a Section 1983 case that's currently pending in the Northern District of New York, which is a, a class action lawsuit with the caption Jonas Caballero versus the New York State Department of Corrections, in which I'm re- representing uh, around 2,500 incarcerated and formerly incarcerated individuals. And I began litigating that pro se case while I was still behind bars. And I can't even tell you just how amazing it would have been if I would have had access to a pro bono uh, attorney or pro bono assistance in some way on this case back in 2019 when I filed first filed the claim. So I think that's a really, really cool and important program that uh, aspiring attorneys can uh, get involved in. And if if you're hearing anything that Jonas is talking about here, the the work that we're doing with the Northern District uh, Federal Court System, and a shout out to Adam Katz, who's been helping us with that here through the law school. There'll be a link in the show notes to check out that training program. And also we'll have Jonas's contact information, his albanylaw.edu contact information. So if you want to speak with him directly, you just click down uh, through the show notes. Jonas, as you're saying, you you have a case pending here. Uh, we've spoken just tangentially about the, these things in the past as well. But is this something that you want to continue to work on and uh, follow once you leave us here from Albany? We don't want you to leave. We want you to stay <laughs> as long as you want to stay. You're <laughs> you're such a great resource for us here at Albany Law School, but is this something you want to pursue after you walk across the stage uh, at commencement? Well, yeah. Well, first I'll say I'll always be here in spirit with you, Ben. <laughs> um, but no, I, I do. I certainly want to uh, continue to pursue this in the future. You know, I'm, I'm certainly right now focused on prisoner rights work. This summer, I had the privilege of interning with the Prisoners Legal Services of New York in downtown Albany. You know, they have offices throughout the state, but I stuck around here to work in their office downtown. Prisoner Legal Services, by the way, 
started right here at Albany Law back in 1974 in response to the Attica uprising. And so I, you know, I did that throughout the summer. Prior to Albany Law, I worked as a paralegal at the Abolitionist Law Center. As I mentioned, I've been engaged in various pro se uh, litigations prior to coming here to this wonderful campus. And a lot of my cases have dealt with uh, litigation around sexual abuse and other constitutional rights violations. And so it seems like the track that I'm on is to uh, continue to um, to work in this field. I, I I love the field. It's a sad field to be in, but there's so many people that need assistance. And so I, I think I'm going to stick to it. What have we been able to do here at Albany Law to support your work? You, you mentioned uh, you work with the deans a lot. I mean, not necessarily on this in particular, but just for people who might be thinking about joining your your work and, and, and how important it is and how delicate it is and how sensitive and how draining it can be for people who are trying to help in that field. Is there anything in particular Albany Law has been able to provide you to help you to assist, to support you while you've been, been working through these, you know, tough, really difficult cases? Yeah, no, that's a really um, interesting question because uh, Albany Law has really helped me in so many different ways. And, and as you mentioned, yeah, it's a really, it's a really harsh field to be in. It, it's, you know, there's burnout and there's, you know, often triggering of uh, events uh, with some of the folks that I've worked with over the summer. And, and so, you know, I guess to, to answer your question, you know, my, my goal is to represent prisoners in New York when, once I finally get out of Albany Law and pass the bar, God willing. Um, and so I guess with my New York practice class with Professor Connors, with my field placement at Prisoner Legal Services, and with my plan next semester to participate in the health law clinic here at Albany Law, Albany Law has been able to help me really get a stronger grasp on health law in New York. And many of the complaints that come in from incarcerated people are about the lack of adequate medical care, and not to mention the really harsh physical and psychological effects that sexual assault has on incarcerated survivors. So my professors here at Albany Law have been super understanding regarding my need to miss class on certain occasions when I'm out speaking on behalf of incarcerated survivors. Actually, on October 17th, I go to trial on damages in the court of claims on a sexual abuse uh, behind bars case that I brought back in 2019. It's taken this long to finally get to this point. Uh, And that case should last around three days, uh, which might require me to miss uh, some more classes. And most of the professors that I've spoken with have been super understanding about uh, the need for me to do this, considering the... uh, the import of such such situation. In addition to that, early next year, my class action will uh, probably head to trial as well. So, I mean, I'll have to cross that bridge when I come to it. But yeah, Albany Law has been really uh, able to provide me so much in terms of support, um, and uh, both emotionally as it pertains to my classwork. And so, it's been a really, um, really great uh, scenario. Well, I will say, and we're just about to get to the lightning round, one thing that beyond this work that you're doing, Jonas, which is so incredibly powerful and important and necessary, one thing that you've given back to Albany Law, though, is perhaps the most cherished event of the entire 
academic year here at all. Other than, probably the learning commencement, I think the therapy dogs are probably like the second most <laughs> enjoyable event here at the law school every year. And you've really been the driving force behind them as well. And again, check the show notes. You can see, yeah, there, there's a lot of dogs that come to campus here every to try and take the, the stress level down, uh, especially around finals time. Just, you get to bask in the, in the, in the sun of this one for a second here, Jonas, how fun is that event? How do you set it up? What if, just, what does it mean to be able to, to bring that to students as well? I'm taking a moment to bask in the sun real quick. <laughs> just like a dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, those events have been so much fun. I mean, I, I think when we had the first one, we just had maybe three or no, I think we had five dogs the first time. And then the sec time, second time around, I think we had eight or 10 and it really is so much fun. I mean, I'm such a, a dog lover and an animal lover in general, you know, and it's it's sad because of my ongoing civil rights uh, litigation outside of school. I wasn't able to um, have the time or, or energy to represent my class in the SBA this uh, 2L year. But luckily, it is in great hands. And I know that uh, Jonathan Stein, who's now the current 2L president, him and his team are working on bringing the pups back to, you know, help uplift our spirits uh, as we inch toward the goal line. He's working with the folks as as we did last year at Therapy Dogs International. And those dogs will be back on campus very soon. And word has it that sometime by the end of the month, we will be seeing those furry little pups on campus again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Like I said, it, it's not hyperbole either. I, I, there is so much feedback on how great it is to see them on campus every year. It, we hear about that more than anything else. Uh, commence, like I said, commencement's commencement. But other than that, they are it so really is a fun time. I, I agree. <laughs> All right, one more fun thing to do here before we, we we let you go back to the to the grind of that 2L year, the lightning round. You ready for the lightning round? I'm ready. All right, here we go. We're like we said we're in the beginning of October, starting to get toward that spooky part of this year. Fall is here. What's your favorite part of the fall? My favorite part of the fall is the part that's closest to the summer. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the colors of, are great of fall. I love the sweaters. That's really fun. But fall also means that we are inching closer to winter. And I'm a really big baby when it comes to the cold. And so I like the part of fall that's the closest to summer as humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like Halloween, too. And I'm excited for Scaristers. And I know the 2L class, the 2L SBA is really putting together a fun time at Scaristers. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Last question before our final question. Uh, what have you been reading lately? Anything be beyond, uh, I'm sure, a million cases and briefs and at all that goes with being a 2L student, but have you been reading anything fun? Anything you'd recommend? I I just finished this amazing, lovely, sad, but beautiful memoir called Not the Breast Year of My Life by Kara Sopaita. Kara is a Pittsburgh uh, TV news anchor uh, and reporter, and she's also my sister-in-law, so you know, full <laughs> disclosure, but um, she just published her first uh, book ever. It's a memoir. And she basically shares a, you know, brutally honest journey where she's juggling chemo treatments, a global pandemic, and also divorce 
all while she's caring for her two beautiful young children, uh, Grayson and Lila. So not the breast year of my life by Kara Sapaira. I 100% recommend this book. It's sad. It's funny. It's, you know, it's beautiful. It's a book about hope and resilience. And so I highly recommend it. Final question. Always the same question here on the show. Is there anything you'd like to say to the Albany Law School community? Yeah, I would just, I guess I would say nam myoho rege kyo. Basically, just keep on trucking, never give up, embrace your power, and do good in this world. Nam myoho rege kyo. It's a Buddhist Jonas, thing. Thank, <laughs> thanks so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Ben, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs>